Amen, amen. You guys can be seated. We doing all right tonight, Clemson? Good, good, good. My name is Aaron, coming from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Dang, I didn't know that many of y'all were from Mount Pleasant. That's incredible. This is crazy, though. My wife sent me out the door, and I told her I was speaking at FCA tonight, and she said, no, you're not. You're going hunting. I know it, you dirty liar. And I just, so I just, can this crowd, right here, y'all help me out. This is for, this is for the lady. Here we go. Okay. Okay, just a quick second here. See, I told you so. You owe me 20 bucks. <laughs> we doing all right tonight? Good, 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 good. Man, I, it's, it's good to get invited back. I was, um, I, was here, I was here last year when it was crazy. Can we all just agree last year was crazy? It was a little bit unnecessary, but you know, God's still going to work through all of that. But I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm sure that all of you guys are excited to be back in here, back in these seats. And, and what it sounds like is God's already doing some really cool things this year um, and what's going on here with you guys. And man, I'm just thrilled to be back. And man, I'm fired up and I'm fired up and I'm fired up. I, I, I lead a small little church. It's a church plant. We started it in, um, about four and a half years ago. Um, my family and I, and we moved in, and I mean, I never thought we'd get our teeth kicked in and have so much fun having that happen at the same time, and, um, but God's just been good. He's been faithful. We're having an absolute blast, and I just consider it a tremendous joy to get here, to, to get to come here to be um, with you guys. It's so fun, so probably more of a blessing for me than it would be for anybody else, because man, I get to go to God's Word tonight. We just shout out for God's Word. Listen, I just, I just live with this conviction, y'all. Listen, because this is a fading conviction. I fear this is a fading conviction in our churches, in Christianity, in our faith, in our nation, in so many ways when it comes to God's word. But I mean, listen, I just live with this conviction that God's word is good, that everything that we need is found inside of it, that it's not fading, that it is without air. And I know some of that can get tricky, but I just live with that conviction. And I just believe that if we're going to say that we're going to go to God's word in a moment, we need to go to God's word. I think too often we're so just, we're so consumed with um, people's feelings about it, to people's opinions about it, people's perspectives on it. And we just need to go, hey, let, can we just get our face in these pages and just, man, and, and just feast off of what he has for us. And so when I teach the Bible, and I can't help it, man, I just need everybody in the word. And so if you got your Bible, your apps, or whatever you're doing these days, there's probably something else out there that's got God's word and I don't even know about. Um, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 tonight. Matthew chapter 9 is by far one of my most favorite pictures of Jesus um, in the Bible. But let me get there like this. Um, our church has served in um, Nicaragua, a small little country in Central America. Um, we've been doing this for over um, just about 10 years now. And of course, I told you our church was only five years old, but we brought that from another church that we were at. And we can continued in that ministry. And we stumbled into a small little village um, just kind of on the west coast of Nicaragua. And it doesn't really have a, a name. They just kind of call it by the, by the kilometer marker on the side of the road. It's known as Kilometer 54. And as we started to get to know this small little community and serve some of the kids in this community and um, um, just kind of walk through what it looked like to help them plant a church in this community, man, we, we, just, we quickly began to observe that man, the, the church just operates there in so many ways from this legalistic culture. Anybody been a part of that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody kind of been stung by that a little bit? It's not awesome. And we kind of, and, and, and it was sort of slow because we were just in the church, hanging out in the church, and in the church, everything was fine. 
Man, everybody had the same views on things. Everybody was on the same page. But then when we took the church and we said, hey, let's go out into the community, all of a sudden things got weird. We'd take the kids and we'd go down to the soccer field and we'd invite everybody in the community to come and play soccer. And then all of the church folk were just kind of sitting along the side, scratching their heads like, what in the world are these people doing? And we just thought they were just, we just thought they were just disgusted with our ability to play soccer. And, then, and as we get into it more and more and more, no, they were disgusted that we were hanging out with people who weren't a part of the church. What do you, and, and then literally, I'm like, well, hey, come on, pastor, come out here and play soccer with some of the dads, some of the men in the community. And he'd be like, no, 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 you don't, hey, yeah, we don't do that. This, uh, this isn't what we do. The church can't do this. You're going to ruin the reputation of the church. And then this really came, like, and then we were just, we'd kind of work together. I'd pull the pastor's side and be like, yo, what is this? This is crazy. Did you even read the Bible? Like, what are you even doing? No, 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 you don't understand the culture here, this, that, and the other. And so then I started going, like, maybe we're, I don't know, we're doing something wrong, hanging out with non-Christian people in a community. And then we'd go back and we said, hey, um, 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 a few hurricanes happened last year. I don't know if you heard about that. Two Category 5 hurricanes hit um, the coast of Nicaragua two weeks apart from each other at the end of the season. And so many of these families, they were without homes. We raised a ton of money and built houses. We raised a ton of money and then provided food. And we found that we could just provide two months of food for just a tiny amount of money. And we would go over and we'd say, hey, let's, let's distribute this among the community. And so we'd get with the pastor, get with the leadership team, and we'd say, hey, make a list of everybody who needs food. And then, and then we'll see how many families it is. And so we'd come back the next day and he'd show me his list. And I'd be like, hey, good, yeah, we got a lot of people on this, this list. And I mean, are, are these all? Yo, man, I think these are all the church people. Is this just church people? And he says, yeah, this is the, these are all the families in the church that need food. I'm like, but, so only the families in the church need food. He says, no, I mean, there's all, everybody needs food, but we'll only provide families for the food for the families that are in the church. I'm like, yo, yo this, is, this is crazy. And so they get all the food together, and, and, and here we are. And he says, hey, pastor, will you, will, you, will you preach from the word and just kind of bless the food and, and talk about what God's doing in the community? And I was supposed to preach from Isaiah chapter 40. Man, it's the greatness of God. It is by far one of my favorite just pictures of the magnificence of God. Like you just can't get bigger than what you see in Isaiah 40. And I'm just like, I'm going to preach that. And literally, he's like, he's the pastor who's going to come and preach from Isaiah 40. And I stepped up and opened my Bible to Matthew chapter 9. Because Matthew chapter 9 to me, is by far the greatest picture of who it is that Jesus came to call to walk with him to build his kingdom. And it wasn't just for the church folk. It wasn't just for the Christians. It wasn't just for the ones who would say, yeah, I'm on team Jesus. We get this picture that he came for the people, I mean, who were gritty, who were rough around the edges, who had a story that was a little shady, that had some dents in it that a lot of the church people would kind of go, man, I don't know if you want that guy, Jesus. I don't know if you want that guy, Jesus. Jesus, do you really know that guy's story? And so I got up and I, I preached Matthew chapter nine and I said, y'all gonna need some more food. And for all the food that you did for every one family in the church, we're gonna bring enough food tomorrow for you to provide um, um, two back, food for two families for every one family that you got on this list and we're going to go into the community. We're going to make a list of all the families that aren't a part of your church, that aren't doing what you're doing, that, um, that are far from God and close to you. And we're going to serve and bless them too. And the pastor's like, this is crazy. I don't, even, I don't know if we know what we're doing. And so they do it. And I was just like, listen, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not getting off of this. 
And we get, they go, we get the food, and they write the names. We come back the next day, and they deliver the food to the, all these families, hundreds of families in the community. And the pastor calls me the next week. We're back at home, and he says, he says man, um, um, 37 families came to the church on Sunday, surrendered their lives to Jesus. Y'all, you push. Yeah, okay. Wondering for a second. And I'm just going, man, how in the world did we get away from loving people? How in the world did we just get so comfortable inside the little shell with a cross on the top that we forgot what happens outside of it sometimes? How did we forget that Jesus came to call the sinners, not the righteous? And so, man, go with me to Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at this picture together tonight, and, uh, man, we'll just see, we'll see how far we get. How about that? Um, Matthew chapter 9, um, we'll pick it up in verse Nine. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he was healing some dudes on the other side of the, of the lake. And so it says, as he passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And so here's Jesus. He's in the process of calling the 12 disciples, right? And here we see him, to everyone's surprise, he walks up to Matthew in the tax booth and he calls him to follow him. And I think it's important for us to see here who it is exactly that Jesus is calling to follow him, who Jesus is calling um, to be one of um, his disciples because this guy doesn't exactly meet any or all, all or any of the religious standards. This guy did not qualify as maybe some of the other guys who were walking with Jesus at this time thought maybe they qualified. And so let me kind of paint a picture of this for you. Matthew was a tax collector, which may not mean much to us. It may mean very little. Like to some, you may hear tax collector and you just kind of think the shady little dude that works for the IRS who, who just kind of makes us all upset. We kind of want to punch in the teeth come January, right? Something like that. Yeah. And, and, but, but to some, too, we kind of just go, hey, look, it's probably, probably educated, probably got a noble job, it's probably working hard, man, just trying to make a buck or two. Like, why hate on that guy? But that is um, not exactly um, what it was like to be a tax collector. So to most first century Jews, tax collectors were easily the most hated men in Hebrew society. They were the most hated men in Hebrew society. So much so that Jews would not allow them, they would not permit them to participate in any of the Jewish customs um, or events. They were viewed as religious and political traitors. You're just trying to collect taxes, man. You're just trying to help the government roll through, right? They were considered political and um, religious traitors, trained extortionists. There's even some ancient writings that we have that we can see today that lump tax collectors together with thieves and murderers. And you go, well, that's kind of, ah, that's kind of a little harsh. That feels a little, a little harsh. Listen, here's how, here's how it worked. Um, so at the time, Rome rules absolutely everything from England to India, and the only way you rule everything from England to India is with a massive, oppressive military. And the only way that you can fund a massive um, military to oppress people from England to India is to tax the life out of everybody that lives in between it, right? And let's go, I, this might date me a little bit. Anybody seen the movie Red Dawn? Okay, come on, right? So this would be like, Okay, nine, all, nine of you have seen it. That's fantastic. I'm in good company. I'm in good company. This would be like, let's just say, some other nation comes into America and just like goes to war with us and they win, which by the way, this is hypothetical because we all know that would never happen. Yes and amen, okay? 
But hypothetically, another country comes in and they're just like, do away with us. And they're like, now another, another culture, another government, another regime is ruling in America, but we're all still kind of chilling out and hanging out here and we're walking around, but they're in charge. And this would be like me, an American, born and raised in this great country, then going around to your doors and your families collecting taxes from you to then go and support the, the very regime that's oppressing all of our families. How many friends do you think I got? How many friends do you think I got? Zero, zero friends. I've probably got some security following me around, making sure that everything um, goes okay, that I don't get mowed over, and that that government gets their money. So now picture Jesus gathering his first four disciples, and he's got James, he's got John, he's got Peter, he's got, he's got Andrews, and he's saying to them, he's like, hey, now, fellas, I've decided to increase our number. I think it's time to roll around with a few more fellas, and, and uh, man, I, I've, got some, I've got something really exciting for us. I got someone really, really, really special, guys. And I could just see kind of Peter, right? He's just kind of like, oh my gosh, who could it be? Lord, could it be a visiting rabbi from Jerusalem? Could it be someone from the crowd who's been following us around? This is so exciting. Guys, Jesus is gonna add to somebody awesome like us. And he goes, no, guys, I was thinking, you're never gonna believe this. I'm really, I'm really excited. I've decided to call Matthew to join us. You know, the greedy, godless thief from the tax booth down the street. It's gonna be a blast. And right about there is where Peter opens his big mouth because if you know Peter, that's what Peter does. Sorry, Peter. And he's like, uh, Jesus, I'm not exactly 100% sure what your plan is here, but whatever it is, I'm pretty sure that this guy's gonna ruin it. But y'all, listen. <laughs> but that's who Jesus called. That's who Jesus walked up to and said, you right there, you with that story, with that background, with that reputation, with that mess that is your life, who you're known to be, everything, the image that you carry in this community, you, I want you to follow me right now. And what does what is Matthew, Matthew do? It says he, he rose and followed Jesus. We read this story in the book of Luke. It says, leaving everything, he left his left his riches, left his credibility, left his protection. Leaving everything, he rose and followed Jesus. He left everything, he surrendered everything. Listen, and in that moment when Jesus called him and said, you are mine, there was nothing greater that he wanted but Jesus. And I just love to just try to picture this, like Jesus walking by, that booth looking him in the eye. And what is Matthew looking into? He's looking into the face of Jesus and he heard his command to follow him. And in that moment, he experienced the transforming call of God on his life that none of us can even honestly explain. I still believe it's a miracle. When God looks at you and he says, you right there and you and you and you, you're coming with me, you're mine. And that moment when you say, yes, I surrender to you, let's go. Reminds me of 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, I'm talking about God who, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. Did you catch that? Not because we were awesome, not because we achieved it, I mean, not because we rose to some occasion, not because I mean, we just took control of life, grabbed it, and did what we needed to do with it. Not because of our works, but because of, ah, 
because of his own purpose and grace. That's how it happened. Listen, if you're here and you would say, and I'm I'm, going to venture to say there's one or two of you who would say, I love Jesus and I'm walking with him, amen? Like if, if that's you, none of that's on you. None of that's on you. He called you, he came and got you. Man, what did we do? We just surrendered. It says it was because of his own purpose and grace, listen to this, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages even began. So how else do you explain what happened to Matthew? How else can you explain what has happened to me? How else can you explain what has happened to some of you? Man, I don't know your stories, but I know mine. Man, and y'all listen, I was a bit of a Matthew, just kind of fumbling around in a, in a really kind of dicey part of my life and story with just a lot of wounds, a lot of baggage, a lot of pain, a lot of loss, all sorts of things. And then in this crazy moment, Jesus, and he literally just kind of came down. He's like, man, you right there. And I was like, nah, he's, surely it's not me. He said, yeah, you're gonna follow me by his purpose and his grace. Was I not given the gift of walking with Jesus? It is because of his sovereignty that any of us get to follow him. It's because he forgives. That he calls and transforms hearts to surrender and receive him. Listen, it's because of what he has done, not because of what any of us have done, right? I'm I'm, I'm sick and tired of, like, listen, I'm I'm gonna... I'm probably gonna lose some friends tonight. Um, I'm, I'm honestly sick and tired of like, I just saw a t-shirt the other day that's like, that's like um, I, I'm in charge of my story. And I, y'all listen, I get it, yo, that's poetic. Like that's motivational. Like somebody put some music to that, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, I'm, it, it's, it is, there's something in that that just goes, and it's therapeutic, we just kinda go, man, I need to take ownership for this. No, I got this, you can do this, man, you go get them. And we kind of give ourselves this little self-pep talk walking out the door like, man, I got it today. But then that only means that when you come home at the end of the day, if it was good, who gets, who gets the victory? You, you do, but the crazy thing in everything that I read is that it was for, by his purpose and grace, not mine or yours. And so I'm left to just go, no, I think Jesus is the hero of the story. I think he's the creator of my story. I think he writes what happens. I think he gets to determine what's next. I think he gets to go to war for me. I get to surrender to him. (laughs) And then when I come home at night, if it went well, he gets the glory. He gets the yes and amen. It's in the story of Matthew that we see Jesus do all the work. And what does Matthew do? All Matthew does as he surrenders, he surrenders to Jesus. Man, what verse am I, I, am I really only one verse in? We should keep going, verse 10, here we go. And as Jesus reclined at table, I don't know why there's not a the. I need an English major. The Bible literally leaves out a, I don't, anyway. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house. I mean, that's what it says. Behold, listen to this. Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So if that wasn't enough, if like the boys weren't freaked out enough because they called, Jesus called Matthew, then the very next scene that we see is Jesus goes, hey, we're gonna go out for a feast. We're gonna party. Hey, we're going to Matthew's house and I want Matthew, you're gonna invite all your friends. I can just see Peter in the corner just twitching, right? He's just shaking like Jesus has lost his mind. Jesus has lost his mind. What is even happening right now? 
and, and, uh, and look here, everyone's having a good time, and everyone's experiencing community, and here's Jesus, and Jesus is with, it says the tax collectors, who's there? The tax collectors are there, it says the sinners. It says, um, in one translation of the Bible, I think it's the New Living Translation, it, it, instead of sinners, it says scum of the earth, I kid you not. Somebody translated sinners as scum of the earth. I promise you, look it up, NLT. But then we see that the Pharisees were there. We'll see that in the next um, verse. And, and the disciples were there. And I love this picture. It doesn't just say that Jesus was there and he was awkward and he was really judgmental and he was really standoffish because all of these dirty people were in the room. It uses the word recline. It says Jesus was reclining at the table with these people. And you could say, well, that's interesting. Like, I never really reclined at the table. And it's this picture. I'm not going to, like, awkwardly get down and do the pose for you. I mean, you could convince me. But, but no, here's, like, they didn't have chairs, right? They just kind of laid around the table. Now, you could just sit at the table or you could recline at the table. And there was a difference. If you went into a meal, if you went into a dining room and you were reclining at the table, there's probably, man, everybody's kind of cut loose. Everybody's having a good time. Man, there's some genuine fellowship. It was a sign of relational credibility. I mean, if you didn't have that, it was really more formal and you would sit at the table. But no, they would kind of kneel down. I'm just sorry to this crowd over here, but they would just kind of kneel down and then and kind of their legs were all kind of around each other and leaning on shoulders and like passing the hummus and getting all the goodies, Right? That was the picture that we get of Jesus at Matthew's house with Matthew's friends, the tax collectors and the scum of the earth. Now look at verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And here it is. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you go over to Luke, I think it's five where Luke writes the same stories. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus shares this meal with people who are Far from God while the self-righteous church folk look in from the outskirts with their passive criticisms and judgments. Y'all, if I'm, if I'm just guessing, I feel like I'm being harsh on my own team. As a pastor of a church leading a body of Christ, coming, coming to this picture, coming to this passage, and then Jesus drops the bomb, and he references this Old Testament prophet named Hosea when he says, um, when he says I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's, he's basically saying, I desire nothing that you can do. You get that? We used to bring sacrifices to get the attention of God, but I desire mercy rather than anything that you can do. And he's saying, I'm going to take care of what needs to be done. I'm going to do the calling. I'm going to do the rescuing. I'm going to take care of everything so that all you need to do is surrender to my son, Jesus. I had a buddy, and um, in, I, I took kind of a, a gap half a decade after high school before I went to school, and I built houses. I was doing construction in Oregon, go Ducks. 
and um, and we we just uh, and we built a house that we couldn't sell because it was middle of winter and the driveway was too steep and you couldn't get up unless you had big trucks like we did. And then uh, and we moved in with a couple of the guys that were from the construction company. It was me and some of my me and some of my church buddies. And I was I didn't grow up in, in an entirely Christian home and. And we were, we were just saying, hey, this will be great. And then it was me and Landon and Kent. And then, man, and we, were, we were doing our half best to walk with Jesus on a good day, y'all. And then there was Mike. Mike was a real treat. Mike was, Mike was ultra awesome. Mike was the kind of guy that he'd be, we'd be like, hey, I mean, he was just savage. I mean, there, we, we came home from like a, a church retreat one time. And there were nine, there were nine ladies in his room in this house that we built, and then we'd be like, uh, we, let's run out, let's go to the store, guys. And we'd be like, um, hey, Mike, we're running the store, you need anything? He'd be like, yeah, condoms and ice cream. <laughs> this was our roommate, this was the guy that we lived with. Mike was awesome. <laughs> and there was just, am I allowed to say that? Is, is that off limits? Can Christians say that word? I'm definitely not getting invited back. <laughs> we loved to snowboard growing up. And, uh, man, we'd always go snowboarding every weekend with Mike. And uh, we, we just, everything we did, we, hung, we, we invited Mike. He said no. Every, every week we'd go to the college group at the time, pretending like I was in college, and we'd go to the college group and invite Mike, and nope, it'd be nope every time. We'd go snowboarding every weekend. He'd say, yep, every time. And it was a couple-hour drive, and we'd go up, and we'd ride. And, and man, he, he just liked that heavy metal. And we had some Christian heavy metal. It wasn't that good, but he listened to it because he just loved us and respected that we loved him. Man, it would have just been so awkward. I mean, it was so awkward all the time. We'd go, we'd, everywhere we went, we'd be like, oh, he did not just say that. Oh, it's so uncomfortable, you know, like, who does that? And then we invited Mike again to church, and Mike's like, yeah, I'm going to check out this thing that you guys are into. It looks like, you, looks like you're pretty serious about it. And then Mike would start coming to church with us, and he'd start, man, kind of hanging out with some of our friends. And then the, the retreat would come, and he'd go on the retreat because we were going snowboarding. But then he'd sit in the trees and smoke weed, and then he'd come out, and he'd go, and he'd be like, well, when's worship? When's worship? I love the worship, right? <laughs> And then we're just like, man, Mike's getting it, y'all. Mike's getting it. He's getting it. This went on for about a year. Just in Mike's lane, constantly in his lane, just loving him, just serving him, just affirming him, just believing that God has something tremendous for him. Not, any, not at all while stepping out of our lane. Did you catch that? We didn't step out of our lane. We knew who we were. Mike knew who we were. We, we were okay with who we were. Mike was okay with who we were. We were okay with who Mike was because we just believed that it wasn't anything that we could do. It wasn't gonna be anything that Mike would do. It was gonna be everything that God would do in his life if he chose to. I was doing, having a going away party because I was getting ready to go to Romania for six months in that season of my life. Talked a little bit about that last time I was here last year. I was having a going away party and Mike came, wasn't Mike's kind of party, but he came, and uh, was kind of telling the story of what we were doing, why I was going, what I just believed God was calling me to, that chapter of my life, and 
and I was getting ready to roll. I was literally rolling from there to the airport, and, uh, and I was walking out to the car, and Mike walks up to me and, and just wraps his arms around me and starts sobbing. Just starts sobbing. I'm like, bro, I feel really uncomfortable right now. <laughs> What's going on? And he, and he just wouldn't let go of me. He said, if it wasn't for you guys loving me in my mess, I wouldn't have surrendered my life to Jesus today. If it wasn't for you guys just hanging in there with me and all the crazy and all the chaos and all the wild, I wouldn't have had the chance to see that you guys actually believe that Jesus is the hero of your story and now he's the hero of mine too. Listen, there's, there's two groups of, of people in this room. The band can come on up if they want. There's two groups of people in this room. I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't some from both groups in here tonight. But I would say there's those in here who have surrendered their life to Jesus. You had a, you had a tax booth moment. Doesn't matter how shady the story was. Jesus came, got you, rescued you, said you are mine. And you couldn't help but surrender your life to him. What grace you have been given as you've done nothing to deserve the privilege of following Jesus. And my hope and prayer is that that privilege and that reality would take you to the place of overwhelm to where not just in that moment where Jesus got a hold of you, but every single day you would be in awe of his grace and his mercy to make you his that you couldn't help but fall to your knees and surrender to his new mercies every morning. And then realize, listen, that we've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. And we, we're just, we're, like, we just fall into this rut. And listen, and, and, and I don't know where you're going after this, but if you stay in the South, I'm going to tell you what the church is like in the South. Man, it's safe. It's comfortable. It's too easy to be passive. And we just teach the cozy stuff. We teach the cozy stuff. But you know what doesn't teach well in our churches is the gospel the unashamed, unapologetic gospel of the love story of Jesus Christ. And what we fail to realize is that we've got work to do still, y'all. Like, Christian, listen to me. Like, it ain't over just because you said yes to Jesus. It ain't over just because you go on a mission trip. Like, we are going to exhaust ourselves. We're gonna get worn out, wrung out for the advancement of the gospel for the glory of God. Man, I just get this picture. Listen, if that's you in here, you're just like, and you're walking with Jesus. I just get this picture of Peter and John in Acts chapters three and four. I'm gonna tell you what happened to Peter and John in Acts chapters three and four. They were preaching that Jesus was the son of God and that he lives and that he's gonna come back and get us. And then the officials said, man, go arrest those boys. Man, go get them. Man, they're, they're causing a ruckus in the, in the temple, in the square. Man, go get them, and let's bring them in. And they brought them in. Here's Peter and John, and they said, y'all got to stop preaching Jesus. Stop preaching Jesus. And they're like, man, we don't, we don't know. We, look, it's not you that we're afraid of. It's not you that we ultimately have to please. Man, we can't help. They literally said, John literally says, we can't help but proclaim that which we have seen and heard. We can't help it. And so they said, man, let's, man, can we, can we, can we kill them? Can we, can we put them in prison for the rest of their lives? And the, the, the scriptures would say, man, they found no real reason to, to punish them. 
And so it says, Lord, that they kind of threw him a beating and let him go and said, we just command you to no longer proclaim the name of Jesus. Listen, y'all, for some of us, and honestly, probably not a lot of us, but for some of us, being a Christian is going to be really hard. And it's going to come with a lot of trials. It's going to come with a lot of criticism, depending on, 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 on how rowdy you get for the fame of Jesus. And you've got a road ahead of you. And the temptation is going to be to go, man, I just don't know if I picked the right team. I don't know if I've got it in me to go another day, man. This is getting really hard, man. My reputation, my friends, my family even. Man, I guess it's just not that cool anymore. And this is harder than I thought. The surrender thing? No, I don't know. I think I can do a better job than Jesus did. Like, just look at me go. And then what does it say? It says that, that Peter and John, man, they go back to the church, real small church, man. We got about 120 at the time, and Peter and John go back. And you'd think that, and then I just picture him coming back a little bloodied up, you know, and like, and everyone's going, oh my gosh, what happened? Well, they told us not to proclaim Jesus anymore. Yeah, I think, I think we should kind of slow down a little bit. It looks like it's getting kind of rough. Is that what Peter and John said? No, it says in Acts chapter four that they went to prayer. They get back, they gather around the church, bloodied and beaten, commanded by the officials to no longer proclaim the name of Jesus as followers of Christ. And Peter begins to pray. And here's his prayer. It's in Acts chapter four, verse 29. He says, he says, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And had he not prayed that prayer as a follower of Jesus, I don't know if we'd be sitting here today. Because then the Bible says that the spirit came and, and it said, and, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You tell me that God doesn't want to be the hero of the story. You tell me he doesn't want to see people walk with Jesus. And if you're here and you're surrendered and you say, I'm with Jesus, he is mine and I am his. Y'all, we've got work to do. Who is the Mike in your life? Who's the Matthew in your life? that you come alongside and they're sitting at your table and they're in your car and you're having meals with them and you're in their lane and, and you're inviting them to be in yours. Who is it? Because until the world comes to know of the gospel of Jesus, he ain't coming back. Matthew 24. So there's those in here who are surrendered and then lastly, those are, there's those in here who I would say, I would just say it this way. You're not yet surrendered. Because I don't know what the call of God is on your life. I don't save anybody. I'm just the mailman, y'all. I just read the word. But he has the ability to do that. And listen, here's the crazy thing. If Jesus walked up to Matthew and called Matthew to follow him to do a tremendous work through his life, imagine what he could do with yours. Imagine what he could do with yours. And this is the part where you say, well, pastor, listen, you don't know my story. I mean, you don't know the things that I got going on. You don't know the shame that I carry. You don't know about this sin in my life that, man, honestly, if God knew about it, <laughs> right? If God knew about that, man, he wouldn't want me. I'll tell you what, pastor, I'm, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm compelled by the things that you're saying tonight. And I'm gonna just go and work on some things. I'm gonna try to clean some things up a little bit because I'll tell you what, he's gonna be a lot more happy with me if I just kind of can show up looking a little bit better than I am right now. You ever felt that way? 
just the weight of your shame, just going like, how could I ever present this to a good God and his Savior who, who died for me and wants to come and get me and call me out of that place that I'm in to walk with him? And here's the last verse I'll share with you. It's Romans 5. Verse six, he says, for while we were still weak, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while I was still a mess, Jesus went to the cross. While I'm still stuck in my sin, Jesus went to the cross. While I'm still just carrying around all my shame, Jesus still went to the cross. And in all of that, he still came out of the grave. And I'm telling y'all, I've been to the grave four times and he ain't there. He's fresh gone out of that thing so that we could live with hope that one day we would be seated next to him in heaven. And here's my favorite part. The Bible tells us that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we say our yes and amen to his promises, when we say, come and get me, here I am, do whatever you want with me. The Bible literally tells us that God doesn't even see our sin. Can you imagine that? what you're so afraid for him to see at that moment of your surrender. The Bible says he doesn't even see your sin. He looks down on you, surrendered to his son, Jesus. And the Bible says all he sees is the righteousness of Christ. So that at your surrender, our creator looks at you and he sees Jesus. Would you guys stand with me? You're right, y'all, I don't know your story. I don't know your story, but here's what I do know, that regardless of your story, regardless of what's in it today, regardless of what will be in it tomorrow, he is still sovereign, he gives the grace, he brings the peace, he rids the fear, he brings the restoration, he brings the healing. Forgiveness is only found in him. He will, he will, he will. And what does he leave us to do? (laughs) This is the only posture that he looks at. And in this moment, he sees you and I before him saying, I believe that I can't do it anymore. I need to surrender to him. I'm no longer in control. This is no longer working for me. Jesus, come and get me and have your way with me. And I suspect that that might be the greatest posture that some of us could take tonight is to say yes and amen to Jesus, to believe that he is the hero of your story and to surrender your life to him and to let God look at you and see his greatness, not your shame, not your fear, not your sin, but the hope that we have in his son Christ. I know the band's gonna give us some space and a little bit of time to respond. And I know that there's there's people kind of talk about what that looks like around here. But listen, man, we're gonna be, we're just down here along the front, whoever's running this show, 
Is anybody even in charge here? Okay. And listen, we're available for you. And if tonight you would say, tonight's my yes and amen. Tonight's the night I stop running from Jesus. Tonight's the night that I say, I surrender to you. I'm tired of saying no at the tax booth. Come and get me, have your way. Man, find one of us down here. Just walk up and say, I surrender tonight. Let us pray with you. Let us, let us just kind of walk into what God's doing in your story. Help bring some clarity to it and seal your heart for eternity alongside the love story of Jesus. Father, we come before you tonight. I'm so grateful for your word. I'm thankful for this picture that you've given us. I'm thankful for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the mess that was Matthew and all the other fellows along the way. I thank you that you didn't just call the righteous, but that you called sinners like me, like so many of us in this room, to get to be a part of your masterpiece, what you're doing. Father, I pray that right now, in this very moment, just through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would sweep across this room and you would touch the heart of every man or woman and tell them it's time. Tell them it's time to come to you. Father, for those who are surrendered in here, I pray the prayer of Peter. Lord, would you consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And for those who are not yet surrendered, Father, I pray for the courage to kneel, to surrender, and to say yes and amen. It's for the fame of your name and for the glory of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.